0: Mystery Show is brought to you by Kind Snacks. Kind Snacks wants to help you celebrate everyday acts of kindness. Spot someone being kind, and you can send that person a kind snack. Wait, how is that even possible, is what you're asking yourself right now. Well, it's actually easier than you would think. Just go to howkindofyou.com slash mystery to get started. Kind, helping you celebrate kindness. From Gimlet, I'm Starly Kine, and this is Mystery Show.
1: Why
2: is there you?
0: Every week, I solve a new mystery.
2: Why is there me?
0: Mysteries that can't be solved online. Mysteries you can't solve yourself.
2: Why does my mother kiss my father
0: occasionally? Up until now, there hasn't been anyone to help with this. That person is now me.
1: What
3: Mysteries. I
2: don't even know what I don't even know. Those mysteries,
3: they're hanging round and round and round and
2: round. Okay, so what two words do you know about my mystery? Belt buckle. That is a good title for it.
0: That's Carson. He knew me even before I was solving mysteries. That's how far back we go. When you have a mystery, you carry it around with you always. Usually, that happens in your head. But in Carson's case, his mystery fits in the palm of his hand. It's an object that came into his life when he was nine years old in Phoenix, Arizona.
2: There was this kid in our neighborhood named Jimmy Turk, who was like maybe a year older than my brother, who's two years older than me. And, uh, he was like a troublemaker. I wouldn't go so far as to call him a bad kid, but like, you know, he had a single mom so he could get away with more stuff than me and my brother cause she had to work. And so he, he, he just had a lot of unsupervised time.
0: Likeable, affable troublemaker.
2: Yeah. Good guy. Yeah. He never really did anything that bad, you know, it was just like, I remember he had like found a stick of dynamite somewhere and he'd emptied out all the gunpowder
0: From the stick of dynamite?
2: Supposedly. The stick of dynamite was never seen. Just the (laughs) gunpowder was seen. One day, I went over to Jimmy's house, and he showed me this belt buckle that he'd found in the gutter. That was what he said. He went for a walk, and he found it in the gutter. And it's beautiful. On the front of it, there's a chef's hat, front and center. Linked by a corkscrew, a pan of eggs that are frying, and a toaster. And the pan of eggs, the like eggs are painted, you know, like very carefully with some kind of enamel, so they're like yellow and white. And this is the coolest part of it. You ready? Yeah. <sighs> that is the toaster. No. Yeah. There's a tiny, tiny switch. And if you flick the switch, the toast pops up.
0: There's a little tiny toast that comes out?
2: Yeah, little tiny toast, like s- as big as your pinky nail. They have like a crust and then bread texture on the bread. And then you can push them right back down. It is, it is the coolest belt buckle I've ever seen.
0: Think back to when you were a little kid. How badly you wanted to believe the world was full of hidden treasures. Now, Imagine seeing that bell buckle.
2: I was hypnotized.
0: Yeah, as you should have been.
2: <laughs> and I just sat there, I think in his bedroom, playing with it for half an hour, just popping the toast, putting it back, to the point where his mom took him out into the hallway and was like, you know, Carson loves that thing so much, I think you should give it to him. What did he say? He, he gave it to me. He was just like, yeah, you're right. And he was like, hey man, you can have that. He didn't really care about it. What? Well, you know, he was like, he had dynamite and girls and stuff.
0: (laughs) Why did he get girls and you didn't? Because you were too young?
2: Too young, too tiny, obsessed with miniature toasters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Every lost object comes with a mystery that seems hopelessly impossible to solve. The single glove found on the train, the wedding band found on the beach, But the belt buckle was different. It came with clues. On either side of the buckle was a name.
2: The name on the front is Hans Jordi. H-A-N-S-J-O-R-D-I. And then the name on the back, it says, In Appreciation Bob Six. B-O-B-S-I-X.
0: Hans Jordi. Bob Six. They were the kind of names that demanded to be etched into silver. Who was Hans Jordi? What did Bob Six appreciate him for? Carson has a theory, which he inherited from his dad.
2: My dad's theory, which it's funny, just because he said it, it stuck with me. Bob Six is like a cowboy. He's like organized these like trail rides for like older guys in their forties, and then they'd go on the trail and have breakfast and get drunk. And Hans was there as the cook, and he was a blast, and they all loved him. Bob Six was just wealthy enough that he had this belt buckle made for him. I started to feel guilty, because there's a name on it, that I should get this belt buckle back to him or to his kids or somebody, right?
0: But normally when you find stuff, like in, you know, the stuff there's stuff in thrift stores that are you know you'll find like a picture like someone's wedding album and the urge is not usually to return it why have you felt the urge to return it at all
2: well because it's not a it wasn't found in a store it was found in a gutter it's like a lost thing you know i just thought that it's the right thing to do
0: how do you imagine he lost it
2: that's your job to figure out
0: oh i will figure it out <laughs> what do you want it when i find Hans and Bob Six, what do you want to tell them?
2: I'd want to say sorry I didn't get it back to you sooner but I mean, do you ever want to spend your leisure time? I guess you do. Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would find Hans Jordy and return his buckle to him even though this case made my stomach hurt a little. The buckle was that rarest of things, an object as enchanting in actuality as it was as a story. What were the chances that the real life Hans Geordi and the real life Bob Six would be that too? I wasn't in the preserving whimsy and wonder business though. I was in a mystery solving business. And I had my work cut out for me. There were so many gaps to fill in. For example, I already knew Hans's position on miniature toasters, but nothing at all about how he felt about regular-sized ones. Hello. Hello, is this Donna? Yes. Um, this is, my name is Starly, and I was calling to ask you a question about an art class that you teach. Oh, okay. Do you remember a student named Hans Jordi? Oh, yeah, Hans Jordi. I remember Hans Jordi. You do? Yeah. This is Donna Beers. I discovered a newspaper item written 10 years ago about a seaside painting class in San Diego that Donna had taught. The class had been free and had taken place on the beach. Donna gave lessons on how to paint the horizon. Included in the article is a group photo showing the students who had taken the class that day. And in that photo's caption, third from the left, is the name Hans Jordy. So I called Donna up to see if her Hans Jordy was Carson's Hans Jordy. You
3: know, I've had, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people come to those classes and I remember Hans more than I remember a of the
0: other people. What do you remember about him? He's German. He was an interesting
3: student. I just liked him a lot. I, I, I was very happy to see him in my classes.
0: The photo accompanying the caption is grainy. The students are crouching on the sand, holding their canvases. There's only one man in the photo, who I assume is Hans. He's wearing a hat and mirrored sunglasses. I know a disguise when I see one, and ask Donna for a better description of Hans.
3: I can see his face. I can see his body. I can see him drawing. I can see him sitting in my class. I can hear his voice. I can hear the sound of his voice. There's an actor that he seems like, this German actor that usually plays like a father kind of role or uh, like an in-charge kind of guy, and he has that kind of a look. I can
1: picture him
3: with like a monocle. But not a skinny face guy with a monocle and a mean face with a monocle, like a rounder face, like a know it all kind of guy.
0: So the monocle was more like professorial kind of monocle.
3: Yeah, let's say he looks professorial. That's a very good term. He'd be like Doctor Finkelstein's
0: <laughs> Right.
3: Let me see if I can How about Armin Armin Mueller Stahl?
0: How did you just find that? What did you type in to get that?
3: <laughs> look, look look in the article. The like www.imdc.com.
0: Okay, let me look. Hold on. Th- that's the guy? This is the guy. Where have you seen this guy before? I don't think this is the guy. I think now that you're seeing him, you've decided he's the guy. But I don't feel like this guy was in your head.
3: Click, Click on this picture where... He's sitting behind a desk.
0: Sitting behind a desk. Okay, I'm looking. That's the vibe that Hans had.
3: Yes, you know he had like the demeanor. And okay, like there's one with him with the wife, and he's he's cuddling the wife.
0: Okay, let I me mean, look at the cuddling the wife picture. Yes, right. This man's very classy looking. And
3: I remember I told he was fatherly and professorally, And then here's pictures of this guy,
0: and he's exactly those things. That's true. He is matching up to what you're saying. Yeah, that's the guy. Thanks to Donna, I now had a description of Hans Jordi. Hans Jordi was Swiss-German. Hans Jordi was memorable. Hans Jordi was great in the film Avalon and robbed of his Oscar in the film Shine. But I still didn't know what accounted for all the chef stuff on the buckle couldn't just be random. I asked Donna if her Hans had been a chef. She said she didn't know because she hated to cook, which I had to admit was airtight logic. I'd have to decipher this clue some other way. I bid my first witness goodbye.
3: Anytime you come to California, uh, get an email and I'll meet you somewhere and I'll actually show you how to do Horizon because it's really hard to Translate that over the phone without the visuals that go with it.
0: I appreciate that. I never. I want to know how to see the horizon.
3: Well, hook up. One thing that, that you can do is if you have a, a pen, just hold it right on your nose. Half of what you see is above the pen and half of what you see is below a pen. And then pick up an object like a glass or something. Then tilt your whole head down so that you see the pen from the bottom, you know, of, of the line, and then lift the glass up so that you see it above the pen, and then you'll see what I'm talking about.
0: I feel like you're telling me a new way of seeing whether a glass is half full or half empty. <laughs> this is going to change everything for me. The next lead I found on a food blog called The Sated Epicure. On April 14, 2010, The Sated Epicure had written about a meal he'd had that awoke a long ago memory from his earliest days as a cook. The post said, quote, In 1986, I was on my internship at a casino in Lake Tahoe and tasted my first classical beef dope, prepared by Chef Hans Jordy. At six feet six, Chef Hans was so tall that he had to take his chef hat off to walk around the kitchen. His stride was wider than the wingspan of a small aircraft, and he spoke as fast as he walked. End quote. A chef so tall that he grazed the ceiling with a stride wider than the wingspan of a small aircraft. That's the language used to describe a superhero, not a human man. Could it be possible that the real-life Hans Jordy was even more fantastic than the one Carson had imagined as a kid? maybe I was in the preserving whimsy and wonder business. I wrote Sated Epicure and told him we had to talk.
4: I was 19 when I first met Hans. In walks this guy, 50 years old, starched, perfect chef whites. And he takes us running through the main kitchen with these 80-gallon steam kettles going with soups and stocks, all these various sauces and chowders, things happening all at once. People dicing and chopping and noise and steam and heat. This is the main kitchen. Boom. And then he swings back through the stairway, and he's taken two or three stairs at a time. He's flying, and we're tripping down the stairs behind him, all seven of us bumping into each other. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's at least twice my age. And I can't keep up with the guy.
0: Twice, well,
4: everything. Twice as fast in the kitchen and twice as capable of putting out 2,000 dinners at a pop. Twice as capable of standing on his feet till 2 in the morning on a 20-hour shift. Twice as capable of being in the next morning at 4 like nothing ever happened. Twice as capable of having a spotless white chef coat while I was covered from head to toe. <laughs> and, and I know that sounds a bit overboard, but it's the truth.
0: My stomach was hurting again. Sadie kept bringing up Hans's chef whites, how perfectly starched and spotless they always were it was hard for me to imagine Carson's buckle fitting into that ensemble. I tell Sated about the buckle and describe for him the pan of eggs, the corkscrew, the toast that pops up. When you hear that, does that sound like Hans?
4: It jogged a memory in my mind of us seeing him for the first time in civilian clothes. Back then, when you got your paycheck, they'd put three drink tokens in your paycheck. So we're sitting at the bar after getting our paychecks, consuming our three free drinks, when we see Hans. And it's like reverse Superman, you know, Clark Kent coming out of the booth after changing into his regular attire. We didn't recognize him at first. I remember saying to Byrne, hey, Mike, that's Hans. That is not Hans, Mike. I swear to God, that's Hans. Watch, he's going to walk toward us. He's in this this white sort of Stetsony-looking shirt. He's got cowboy boots and jeans, and he walks towards us, kind of nods, and keeps going. And I said, "Oh my God, he, he's a Swiss cowboy."
0: Did you ever see him again in civilian clothes? No. Never?
4: No. There's a reason I saw him then, and it's 30 years later that I know why. If we didn't catch him coming out of that door that one time, I would have been no use to you. Isn't that funny?
0: Funny had nothing to do with it. Was Sated destined to be a clue that helped me solve my mystery? Is that really how fate works? Or was that simply how drink coupons work? In Sated's life, this actually wasn't the only time fate had converged with Hans.
4: I was in a situation then where we were we were running out of tuition money. I come from a working-class family. Nobody ever went to college. Either I get scholarship money to continue, or I need to withdraw from college. We had nothing left. We had nowhere to go.
0: In order to get the scholarship, Faded had to get an A from Hans. Fade didn't tell Hans about the scholarship or his financial problems at all, and he didn't hold out much hope of getting his A. Hans seemed to be so perfect at everything that he had very little tolerance for the limitations of mere mortals. Still, Saded had to try. He worked so hard. After two months, Saded returned home, knowing he was a better chef, but doubtful that he was still a college student. He met with his advisor, who told him Hans had given him an A. Even his advisor was surprised. He told Saded. Hans never gave A's.
4: I was told in June that I had gotten the A and that I had received a full scholarship, including housing for the following year. Went back so happy in September and a new batch of teaching assistants started and my wife-to-be was in that group.
0: So if you might not have met her if you hadn't gone back to school.
4: Oh, I would never have met her. That's the whole point. It's it's one of those either-or events in life that we experience every day. You either get it all or you get nothing. This one... I won. I got the. I, it happened. That's my point. And I didn't just meet my wife. She's my soulmate. I mean, like, really unusually great marriage. If I hadn't earned an A, that would have never happened, ever. There's no way. Um, and you know, Hans was that that piece.
0: My conversation with Sated had filled out my profile of Hans quite nicely. Hans Jordy was a cowboy. Slash chef, slash superhero, slash manipulator of space and time. And while we're on the subject of space and time, Sated hadn't seen or spoken with Hans since his internship ended. That was in 1987. I needed more recent intel. Which came to me via a message board posting on a site called Webfoodprose.com. The subject heading of the message was this Looking for Hans Jordi. The message was from 1998 and had been posted by a man named Chef Carl, who wrote Swiss chef Hans Jordi has been missing from my address book for years. I searched online and he doesn't exist there. Help! exclamation point. Please. Exclamation point. I stared at the message suspiciously. I was looking for Hans Jordy. How many belt buckles had this guy lost? Hello? Hello? I found a chef, Carl, who owned a restaurant in Houston, and called him up.
1: We were all working in the Biltmore Hotel. I started in '62 there, and he was uh, a sous chef that time, and actually it was his helper the first time.
0: Chef Carl knew Hans, when they were both starting off as chefs and cooking at one of the swankest joints in Phoenix, the Biltmore Hotel. And so you guys were, like, really close?
1: Pretty close, yeah. We were all a European crew. That's why, you know, we stuck together. You see, like, on the Sunday nights, when we were finished working, there was most of the time around 9 o'clock. And the whole crew actually went up to a bowling alley. And we were bowling until about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And we all had to start working at 8 o'clock in the morning.
0: Was he a good bowler?
1: You had some good games, and then you had some lousy games, especially when you had too many beers.
0: Chef Carl's looking for Hans Jordy posting had been a bust. It didn't help him find Hans. Mainly this had to do with Chef Carl never logging onto the site again. If he had, he would have seen this comment from a man named Chef Rene. Hi, Carl. I know Hans. Last time I saw him, he was working for a hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona. You should call Bob Bland. I read Chef Rene's message to Chef Carl over the phone. He knew Bob Bland and agreed he was a good lead.
1: Robert Bland, in the 60s, he was the vegetable cook in the Biltmore. And he's still somewhere in Phoenix. He maybe could help you.
0: Let's contemplate for a moment the name Robert Bland. What kind of name was that for a chef? No wonder he had to use a pseudonym. I pulled out my notebook and wrote, Bob Bland equals Bob six, period. Wait, one more question. Did, did Bob Bland have a, a nickname?
1: They just him Bobby.
0: I added a hook above the period so that it became a question mark.
1: Anyway, good luck with your hunting.
0: Okay, and maybe I might use some of this on the show.
1: Okay, whatever. Okay.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, my phone was blowing up with text from my client, wanting an update.
2: I'm kind of too interested for small talk if you just want to jump in.
0: I mean, yeah. This is the only thing I can talk about these days anyway. <laughs> so what what do you want to know?
2: Um, who's Hans Jordy?
0: He's a chef. Awesome. He's a great chef with the soul of a cowboy.
2: That's what my dad thought.
0: I know. Your dad was right. Oh, and I, I know who Bob Six is. Oh,
2: who's Bob Six?
0: He's a man named Bob Bland.
2: Oh, wow. And what does he do? He's a chef. So does Bob Bland go by Bob Six just because Bob Bland is the worst name for a chef?
0: Maybe. I don't know why he goes by Bob Six yet. But I knew how I'd find out. Carl had told me that Bob Bland still lived in Phoenix. And sure enough, I discovered there was even a competition called the Robert Bland Culinary Salon, put on by the Phoenix Culinary Association. On its website was a page that listed all its members who had made donations. Two long columns with hundreds of names. Toward the top of the first column, I spot Bob Bland. Towards the middle, Hans Jordy. The association had a board meeting coming up. It could not be more clear what I had to do. It was time to return this buckle to where it came from. Looked like I was going to Phoenix. But first, let's take a quick break. Support for from Mystery Show comes from kind snacks, such as the kind dark chocolate cinnamon pecan bar, which brings me to this week's installment of the ingredient list. Cinnamon. Kind snacks are made from ingredients you can see and pronounce, except...
2: Little kids can't pronounce cinnamon. I mean, there's lots of words little kids can't say, but when like three or four quintessential kids can't say words, cinnamon comes to mind. So can we just have kids trying to say cinnamon for 30 seconds?
5: Sedum. No, cinnamon. No, sedum. Cinnamon. <laughs>
6: <laughs> right.
5: Sedum. Sedum.
2: Is that a hard word or an easy word?
5: Easy word.
1: Cinnamon.
2: Right. She's <laughs> not even three years old, guys. Cine-
6: cinnamon.
0: Cine- <laughs> cinnamon. Fire
1: truck.
0: Fire truck. The kind snack ingredient you can see and pronounce. Stay tuned for the next installment of the ingredient list, Whole Grain Clusters, and do the kind thing for your world. (laughs) Support for Mystery Show also comes from Squarespace, a quick and easy way to build your website, blog, or online store. In fact, you'll be able to build it so quick that you're going to have all this extra time on your hands that you're not going to know what to do with. So, suggestion three as to how to spend that time. Live as though you're about to fly off to Paris or someplace like that at any moment. Stay out too late every night, so as to every morning really be able to feel that stress of almost missing your flight. You should keep a travel bag pre-packed full of stuff that you would have just frantically thrown in there. Like a full bottle of water that you'll have to guzzle down at baggage check, but no bottles of shampoo, conditioner, or soap. Maybe throw in a bunch of toothpaste caps, just all loose and rolling around in there, and most importantly, don't forget to forget to renew your passport. Go to squarespace.com and start a free trial today. With intuitive and easy-to-use tools, sites look professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. Make sure to use the offer code MYSTERY to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And we're back. Did you miss me? Hmm. Here is a plan. I was to fly to Phoenix to return Hans's buckle to him. But before I could do that, I needed to get it from the person who kept it safe for all these years in a special place. What do you call it? The jar of... Junk. (laughs) I was trying to be polite. (laughs) Carson goes to his hall closet and comes back with a large tin bucket.
2: I'm going to dump it. The good stuff's at the bottom.
0: Much like his theory about how Hans got the buckle... Carson's storage system for it came from his dad, too.
2: Oh, yeah. My dad, he had these, like, junk collections when he was a kid that have now become my junk collections that are just kind of like every tiny object that we've, like, accumulated through our youth.
0: In other words, it's a scrap bucket.
2: That's from Aladdin's Castle. That was our arcade growing up. That's from Homecoming, 1996. hmm this is off my first girlfriend's underpants. Is this like oh. a weird rose? Because she gave it to me. <laughs> kind of gross. <laughs> Belt buckle is definitely the crown jewel.
0: Well, obviously. It was in the bottom of the scrap bucket after all. How do you feel about letting it go?
2: I'm fine with that.
0: Really?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the part of me that wouldn't be okay with that is like, the part of me that I want to kill. It wasn't made for me, you know? It's yeah. Hans's belt buckle. I've just right. had it for 20-something years.
6: It's time.
2: Yeah, I think it's time. I can't wait.
0: I slip the buckle into my backpack. On the flight to Phoenix, I keep the bag on my lap the whole time and even then check constantly that the buckle's still in there. After all these years, it'd be so like me to lose it. I'm at 40th Street and Camelback Road. This is where the buckle was found by Jimmy Turk. The Phoenix Culinary Association meeting that I was hoping Bob Six would be at wasn't for another day. So in the meantime, I decided to pursue another of the buckle's mysteries. How had Hans lost it? Maybe I'd get lucky and spot an obvious clue nearby. Like a belt buckle factory. Hello? Hey. What are you looking at? Well, I just walked around the corner and I'm looking at dental specialty, uh... Yeah, now I'm looking at a cupcake place. <laughs>
5: I'll get out of the car right
0: now. Okay. Right. I didn't know exactly what to expect grown-up Jimmy Turk would be like. Hi. But at the very least, I thought he'd <laughs> greet me with a lit stick of dynamite in his hand. Instead, he was trying to keep his voice at a whisper so as not to wake his sleeping daughter.
5: Okay. Emily, that's not mommy.
0: That's Darlie. Say hi. Hi. In retrospect... He probably wasn't talking to me.
5: I wonder if I could pull it right there. Just park?
0: Yeah. In Carson's version, Jimmy had found the buckle in a gutter, which to me had made its own sort of sense. A gutter is where lost or unwanted things wash up. Instead, we were standing on a sidewalk next to a busy four-way intersection on the outskirts of a Phoenix subdivision. Who would have thought an object this unique could be found on a street... This aggressively familiar.
5: I don't know where I was going or what I was doing, but we're coming down and just happened to see it. And like right, right over by the bushes, right over here. I remember just walking around and uh, finding it right up, right next to that wall there by the bushes.
0: Cl- close to the wall, closer to the wall than the sidewalk.
5: Yeah, definitely.
0: Jimmy hasn't seen the buckle since that day in his room when he gave it to Carson.
5: Hands, short. <laughs> Look at that poster. Um. So It'll be interesting to know if he remembers where he left
0: it. He won't know exactly where he left it, because if you know where you lost something, it's not He'd lost. Go back,
5: unless he did go back, and I had already found it.
0: Oh, wow, what if you could have just missed each other? Yeah. If Jimmy had walked by at any other moment, instead of the buckle, he would have just found some Swiss guy rooting around in the gravel. The Just like if Sated hadn't house. been in that bar that night, I wouldn't have known Hans was a cowboy.
5: Yeah, as no a matter of fact, the house right here... I tried to show off and do a backflip, and I hit my chin and had some stitches when I was a kid. And then that telephone pole down there, I jogged into trying to teach my grandpa how to jog, and I jogged right into a telephone pole. So that I have two sets of stitches.
0: Couple questions here. How do you teach someone to jog? Why didn't Jimmy's grandpa already know how to jog? And...
5: My grandpa, my dad, and my uncle, and I, we all have two sets of stitches up under our chin.
0: What? Is a scar in the same place? hmm <laughs> when, when you told your dad you got the... You, when he saw your chin, did he say, like, the family line continues? What is it with this bell buckle and fate? head to my next appointment. I've arranged to meet Chef René, the chef who answered Chef Carl's query on webfoodpros.com. We're meeting at an Italian restaurant that is known for having the best pizza in the country. Like, it's not just people in Phoenix who call it that. Chef René is waiting for me outside. He recognizes me because of my microphone. I recognize him because of the twinkle in his eye of someone who is about to help me break this case wide open. We order a pistachio pizza. I pull out the sheet of paper where I printed out his webfoodpros.com comment, which had brought me to Phoenix. I wrote it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chef Rene doesn't remember writing the post and has no idea who Chef Carl is. Neither of which have deterred him from meeting with me. Apparently, helping people who are looking for Hans Jordy is just sort of his thing.
6: Was it 19? I think seventy-six when Americans.
0: What was what's, what's Hans like?
6: Typical Swiss.
0: <laughs> Chef Renee is from Ecuador by way of Germany. He was part of a sort of mass migration of European chefs to the American Southwest in the fifties and sixties.
6: You know when I came to this country in sixty-nine and landed in Houston, Texas, I thought somebody was picking me up in your horse. And when I looked out, it was all cars. And I was so disappointed. I expected to see cowboys. But it wasn't like that.
0: And you thought, like, down the runway, a horse would be coming? Yeah, maybe. By now, I've grown accustomed to stories of haunts from the past. What I'm not used to is what Chef René tells me next.
6: You see, maybe tomorrow we have a chef's meeting, maybe a seam over there. I'm
0: going to that chef's meeting. Are you going to? Yeah.
6: Oh, I see you over there.
0: Yeah, do you think Hans will be there? Maybe. Whoa, whoa. Okay, okay, okay. Got a lot of planning to do. Chef René says that at the meeting tomorrow, he'll pretend not to know me, so as not to tip Hans off. I tell him that I want Hans to know I'm looking for him. That's the whole point. Chef René gives me a look like, don't worry, he can keep a secret.
4: To the next so I'm going to get to manager's part. I get tons of stuff. Stop me for any questions. Feel free to you know, add input.
0: Back so, in the day, foremost, the Culinary know, Association I of Arizona's thought gatherings thought took I place did. in the elegant hotels I I and resorts you know, where the chefs worked.
4: Know, there were know, fancy know, spreads, multi-course dinners,
0: ice sculptures. Now do the do meetings are know, held pretty not much, not much not wherever the, the association course, can call in a favor.
7: First of all, I want to thank your managed waypoint office here today for hosting us. If you know places that would host us, country clubs, hotels,
0: whatever. About a uh, dozen like chefs are gathered in the conference room. <laughs> I take a seat next to a man who looks to be in his late 60s. Okay. Height, not as tall. As if anybody
6: has
7: a name of a pastry chef who would like to work for a big company, let me know.
0: Accent German. German. And I this had to be Hans. I, now that I know I'd you finally know. found him. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> you stinker.
0: I look over at the man so a, and a smile box. shyly. Yeah, what you would like to do is
6: uh, recognize the member's birthday, send them a birthday card. And now, wait a
0: minute. This was a whole different guy. So they have
6: it in their hand and not have to go
0: on the screen and then it's gone. Right. I was suddenly knee-deep in elegant European chefs. Hans Jordy could have been half the men there. My hand shoots up. Do you have a question? I do. I have a question about a particular chef in Arizona who might be a member. I think um, Hans Jordy, do you guys know him? Yeah. Oh yeah, Hans, Hans, yeah.
6: He's one of the old uh, guard...
0: Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Hans Jordy. No one He's easier to find. Hans wasn't at the meeting after all. But a lot of these guys had seen him not too long ago, on his birthday.
7: He had a big, had birthday, a big party, birthday party, boy, yeah. Yes. What was his birthday? The seventh... Uh, the idiot. 80th. Idiot birthday, birthday yeah. we were there. Uh, his wife yeah. invited people, and he didn't know about it.
0: So Quite a few people there.
7: Old Swiss guy, you know, they know how to party. <laughs>
0: How long have you known him? Thirty years, forty years, who knows. I mean every year.
6: Infantore (laughs) Hans jordi
1: Okay.
0: It's time to eat. How are you doing? We all shuffle to another room. I hear my name called out. It's Chef Renee. He saved a seat for me. So much for our plan. That was really his plan. To pretend like we didn't know each other. Chef René starts pointing to different chefs, telling me who each one is. I'm not interested in hearing about anyone under the age of 60.
6: The next to him is, uh, is the only master chef in Arizona. He's a German. Wow. P- Peter is next to me. Peter Inna. The gentleman at the end is my
0: Oh, really? Oh, I'll run to talk to him. See if he ever had a nickname. If I had a mustache... This is when I would twirl it. The meeting ends, and the group of older chefs head to the back to load up on free condiments. I make my move. Are you Bob Bland? Yes. Um, my name is Starley. Do you know someone named Hans Jordy?
7: Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> him well, and I, we worked together in the at the Biltmore. He was my roommate because we lived in dorms back in uh, '60. Well, 59 I came to town. 59 60, 61. I've known him since then.
0: What's Hans like? Oh,
7: typical Swiss.
0: <laughs> That's what Renee says. Yeah. Was it hard being a chef with your last name? Glant. Oh.
7: <laughs> Tell me about it.
0: Do you, do, you, do you have any nicknames? Not really. Did you, were you ever called Bob Six? Bob who? Six.
7: No. I'm sorry.
0: All along, I'd been sure that Bob Bland was Bob Six. As I was getting closer to one side of the buckle, it seemed I was getting farther from the other. Hi. Chef Renee's arranged to have me and Hans meet up at his house. He's even found an old belt buckle of his own to wear for the occasion. It has a horse head on it, made out of pieces of turquoise.
6: I called him up and uh, he recognized my voice right away. I said, There's somebody from New York that was to interview you and say, I cannot tell you what's all about, but.
0: I he said, didn't ask anything, huh? That's Chef Renee's wife, Gloria. If it was me, I would say, Who? Why? How? Oh, now those were good questions. I need to remember them on the next case. He's probably coming any second, right? Chef Rene can't sit still. He keeps looking out the window like to see if he can, can spot travel. Hans's car.
6: I don't think he drives a sports car.
0: Hans is supposed to be there at 5.30. At 5.31, Renee takes out his cell phone and calls him. Are you on the way
6: here? Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. This is something that wasn't wasn't in, in our program
0: today. <laughs> and at 5.32... Yeah, he's here. He's here? he's here. he's here?
6: He's here. Hi, how are you?
7: Hi, Gloria.
0: Hans Jordy walks through the door. Hi, I'm Starly. Starly? <laughs> <laughs> this is all going to be cleared up very soon. Hans is exactly as everyone has described. He's tall and lean. If I had to sum him up, typical Swiss. Okay. We go out back to Chef René's Garden. There's a table and chairs.
6: A lot of kids. They come from Mexico.
0: Hans sits down, and everyone turns to him, expectantly. I pull out the case with the buckle inside. Um, I have something I think, that I think belongs to you. You're Hans Jordy, right? That's
7: right. I'm Hans Jordy. And what would you like to know?
0: Well, I want to know so much, but let me give you this back first.
7: Do I know what's in it? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, oh my God wow how did you find that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this 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 was yours yes
6: it
7: was yes see uh, even my name is on it
0: yeah I know yeah. <laughs> that's how I found you. Do you remember when you lost this we
7: had uh, we had a break-in at the house
0: This was stolen from you yes,
7: you know I even went to some pawn shops. To look for it, but I knew I probably never could find it again. And Bob Six, he gave me me that as a present. He had it special made. Yeah, he was there. The chairman of Continental Airline.
0: Turns out, Bob Six ran Continental Airlines for 50 years. He was married to Ethel Merman, and then later to Audrey Meadows, who played Alice on The Honeymooners. From the day he and Audrey were married, they never took a flight without one another. Bob Six's ancestors were from Holland, where they were pawnbrokers. In the 16th century a struggling artist, pawned some of his work and never came back to reclaim it. And that's how the Sixes wound up with the largest collection of original Rembrandts in Europe. Bob Six was pals with John Wayne and kept a collection of Six Shooters. To unwind, he would practice his fast draw. He loved gimmicks and stunts. In the 70s, he hired magicians and playboy bunnies and baseball players to entertain the passengers on flights too short to show movies. He once received as a gift a little jaguar cub from a Continental pilot. Bob Six named the cub Whiskey and brought him to work with him. Every summer, Continental went on a staff retreat at a ranch in Wyoming. Hans Jordy was
7: the chef. All those airline executives, and, you know, there was 150 of them, uh, I cooked for them. Long hours, long days, you know. They had uh, actually six meals a day on breakfast, lunch, dinner, midday snack, afternoon snack, and midnight snacks. It was a lot of sleepless nights. I did that every year, you know, for... For ten years, ten summers up there, and so an appreciation he he gave, he made that for me. When they had their uh, their farewell dinner, then he was uh, he was on the head table with another bunch of uh, wigs. No, he was he was big shot compared to me, and then he called me out and. Wow! I always wondered where it will be, who took it, and if it's ever going to be found. I can't believe it! Thank you. <laughs> Do
0: you have any messages to my friend who had it this whole time? Yeah, I want to. I want
7: to. Thank, thank him uh, for being honest about it, you know, and give it back, and uh, I wish him well.
0: He always felt bad that he had it, but he didn't know how to find you. The only thing he could guess, he thought you were a chef, and he thought you were a cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably true. You're a a chef and a cowboy.
7: I was, (laughs) I was then. Because the, uh, the ranch I worked on, we had 150 guests and they had uh, 20,000 head of cattle. And we were riding horses almost every day and chasing cattle around.
0: It's getting dark out. We go inside and have dinner. Hans and Renee reminisce about the old days. Hans keeps taking out the buckle and staring at it, shaking his head. Then he and his wife Peggy head home. I help Renee and Gloria clear the table. Are you sad? Are you going to be sad that the mystery is over now? Yeah. But we all agree, case closed, right?
6: Case closed. Case closed. Happy closed. Happy ending. I knew, I knew it's going to be his. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know you.
6: <laughs> I get that feeling because it's <laughs> his name.
0: Mystery Show is produced by me, Alex Bloomberg, Melinda Shopson, and Eric Mennel. Producing help from Chris Neary and Wendy Doerr. Eli Horowitz is contributing editor. Thanks to John DeLore and Matt Lieber. White Dove made the original score for this episode. Closing song by Emmy the Great. Opening song by Sparks. Arthur Jones, I'll never get tired of your logo. Thank you to Larry Lewis and to our littlest helpers, Zazie, Calvin, Samira, Winona, and Leo. I also wanted to say that if you haven't heard the great shows, start up and reply all. We have less in common than I thought. Find them now on iTunes or at GimletMedia.com. And congratulations, Mr. Woobers, whoever you really are. You were the first to get the honeymooners' clue from last week's show, or at least the first to tell me you got it. Now for next week's clue, think it over.